So, although um, on every holiday it's a mitzvah to be happy, something unique about Sukkot. It says in the Torah, "Basamachta b'chagacha," you should rejoice on the holiday. And it's not only in the time of the Temple, time of the Beis Hamikdash, but this applies nowadays as well. It's a biblical commandment to be happy on Yantin. and that's why it's a, it's, it's a commandment to have wine every day of Yantiv. Um, including Cholamoy, supposed to have a glass of wine, those who are able to. Um, because, it says in the Talmud, there's no joy without wine. The question was like this. What's, there's only one holiday that's called the time of our joy. Our in the plural. Time when God rejoices with us and we rejoice with God. Although, every holiday there's a mitzvah to be joyous, but only one holiday is given this um, unique distinction in it being the time of our joy. We say in our prayers, in every prayer on Sukkot, the time of our joy. How come this holiday specifically is called the, hol- the time of our joy when seemingly every holiday is supposed to be joyous in the holiday? So what's unique about Sukkot is that we have the drawing of the water. Time of the Beis time of the Temple, it speedily be rebuilt. The mitzvah on Sukkot is to, uh, there's a tradition from Moshe, from Moses in Mount Sinai, that together with the daily sacrifices, we pour water on the altar. And before pouring water on the altar, it, it drew water. And so the, the um, drawing of the water, the Shiva Samayim, was done with tremendous joy and happiness and celebration. To the extent, the Talmud says, whoever did not see the celebration, the drawing of the water, never saw joy in their life. If you didn't see the celebration of how they drew the water, you never saw happiness in your life. Now the question is, why does the Talmud make it so exclusive? Even if you say the joy of the drawing of the water is a tremendous joy, let's say it's the biggest joy, but does that mean that there are no other joys? How come the Talmud says the only joy that's possible, or the only joy that there is, period, is the joy of the drawing of the water? If you never saw that joy, you don't know what joy is about. Um, so understand this, I have to explain a little bit more about... Um, what the drawing of the water really is about. Before we go into it, I just want to point out that in the time of the Beis Hamidash, the time of the Temple, since the joy was through music, uh, the joy began after the, day, after the holiday, because they, could, they couldn't play the, the music on the holiday. In the time of the exile, if Chatz is not here before tonight, and so we have the joy already tonight, because since we, the joy is not specifically associated with the exile, with, um, with music, therefore it could be done already on the first night of the holiday without any, um, without, without, without the, you don't need the music in the time of the exile. Only in the time of the exile is there a, uh, the time of the Beis HaMikdash is the joy associated with, with the music. So, let's understand what this joy is about. It would seem that drawing of the water doesn't seem like a very um, joyful thing. It seems more tasteless. It's water. The whole year, the daily sacrifices were accompanied by wine. Wine was poured in the altar for the daily sacrifices. And on the Sukkot, the unique addition was it poured water also. Why is water something that's celebrated? It would seem that, on the contrary, what the Talmud says, ain't shira el the reason we make Kiddush on, on wine is because it says in the Torah, you're supposed to remember the Shabbos with the song, 
You cannot sing a song unless, unless you have wine. So wine specifically is associated with with the joy, to the extent that um, you can't make kiddush in shiluvayin. You can't sing without the wine. Water, on, on the other hand, is not something which is associated with joy. The extent that the Talmud says, that if you drink water, and you're not thirsty, you're just drinking water, let's say, to swallow a pill. So you wouldn't make a bracha, you wouldn't say a blessing. Because water has no taste. Another drink, you're enjoying the taste of the drink, and therefore you, say, you thank Hashem for the taste of the drink. But water, since water is tasteless, you don't say a bracha, unless you're thirsty. So what's the idea of the joy that, that we're celebrating on Sukkot, that this is, is specifically associated with water. So we'll see how the joy of Sukkot tells us a lot more about ourselves than does about, about the Sukkot. It says in the, um, in the, in the Torah, Tiku b'chayda shefer, blow shofar in the month, b'kesa, when it's hidden, l'yom chagenu, the day of the holiday. So the Talmud explains, what is the month that's, what is the holiday when the moon is hidden, when it's hidden, the chodesh, the, the month refers to the moon. When is the moon, b'kesa, when is the, what holiday has the moon hidden? The holiday is the holiday of Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah is the first day of the month. The moon is not yet fully visible. So therefore, that's the time we're supposed to blow the shofar. Blow the shofar when the moon, when the month is hidden. But the verse continues, for the day of the holiday. So this explains that whatever is hidden Rosh Hashanah is revealed on, on Sukkot. So the connection that we create in the first half of the month through reverence for Hashem, our teshuva in a, in a serious way is revealed on Sukkot in a joyous way. That's why Tesna Torah in the in Song of Songs, his left hand is under my head, his right hand embraces me. That verse is referring to the two halves of the month. The first half of the month is I'm the left hand, where Hashem shows us his judgment. And the, the second half of the month, the holiday of Sukkot, is associated when God shows closeness to us. God show, his right hand embraces us. So the embrace of Hashem brings out the joy and the closeness of Jew to Hashem. The, Hashem's justice makes us feel uh, a sense of reverence and distance, but the right hand, the closest, and the love God shows us in, in, in Ansukas brings out the joy of a Jew and God. So what is this um, joy about, and why is it associated with water? So what is a Jew, period? A Jew, it says in Tanya, the second soul of the Jew, the first soul is the animal soul. Yes, we have an animal part of ourselves. But the essence of a Jew is which is an actual part of God. The author specifically says it's mamish, a part of God. Mamish means literally, really. And that word has, in that sentence, has two different um, connotations. One is that it's really godly. It's so godly. It's really godly. And the other is, that it's, mamash also means something you could touch with your hands. Despite the fact that it's really godly, it's something which is really tangible, something which is really down-to-earth, really about who we are in the, in the vernacular, in the, in the down-to-earth, in our, in our, in our nine-to-five, and the way we walk around. That's who we are. So, our neshama is us. That's who we are. So because the soul is our essence, not our intellect, not our character, not our feelings, the essence of who we are is our soul. That's why you see a phenomenon in history that Jewish people always opted to give up their lives rather than give up their connection to their Judaism. 
They rather die, whole communities, men, women, and children, rather than give up the Judaism. That's why Jews don't have any saints. Other religions they have. This person gave up their life for the Judaism, for, for their religion. This person gave up, gave up his life. But Jews who don't have saints, why don't we have saints? Because by Jews, the whole community, men, women, and children, the Crusaders came when anyone threatened Jewish people to, um, to either give up their Judaism or, or die, the Jews said, we'll die. And not the, not the scholars, not the, not, not the great Torah giants, everyone. Where does it come from? It's Tessentania because the inner Jew, the light of God, shines in his soul in such a way that he does not want, he cannot bear to separate himself from God. That's the essence of a Jew. Understanding, feelings, that's external. So, wine is associated with pleasure. And in the natural pleasure a person would have, you think, is something you understand, you appreciate, you feel. That's what causes you to have pleasure. But for a Jew, the deepest pleasure he has actually is accepting what God tells him to do. Because a Jew's essence is godly, so our, our obedience to God, although it sounds like something that's tasteless, something like water, that's, there's no taste there, you're not doing something because you enjoy it, not doing something because you understand it, doing something because just because God said so, yet by a Jew that's something which is really deep. That's something which, which actually is the deepest thing in the Jew. That's why when God gave us the Torah, He asked every other nation, you want the Torah? And every other nation said, what does it say? Let's think about it. And when God came to the Jewish people, we said, we will do before we understand. How can we do something before understanding it? It's because our essence is Godly. Our essence is one with Hashem. And since our essence is one with Hashem, so therefore, doing what God wants, as long as we know what God wants, we don't have to understand what it is. We don't have to, know, we don't have to analyze it. We don't, we don't have to dissect it. As long as this is the will of God, this becomes our desire, because our essence is God. And that's why the uh, pouring of the water, external, you think, it, if you don't understand what you're doing, you don't appreciate what you're doing, it's something so external, something which is so robotic. But by Jews, it's the opposite. Since a Jew's essence is God, so therefore, when something is the will of God for a Jew, that's the greatest joy. As long as he's doing something that God wants him to do, a regular person, a regular Jew in this world, you know you're doing the right thing and what God wants you to do, there is a tremendous joy. I was reading a story yesterday about a friend of mine who has passed away, unfortunately, very purest of the pure, sweetest of the sweet. This guy, uh, Rabbi Pevsner, he had always had a, some physical ailments. He always walked around, had a funny walk, he couldn't walk very well. And, uh, and anyways, he was, um, he was coming, it was, it was a snowy day, and... He was in, in the um, yeshiva in 770 in New York. And he was staying in the dormitory in 1414 President Street. And it's really cold outside. Blanket of snow. Who wants to force himself out of bed and make it for the morning class in Chassidus, right? Mm -hmm. So, so um, this boy, this man, says a story. He remembers himself by thinking, ah, I should sleep in. But he pushes himself and forces himself to get out of bed and comes to comes to the synagogue, comes to 770, who else is there besides him? Nobody. Nobody. Just him. He's just he's there. And he's thinking to himself, I should have slept in too. What was I thinking? Like, no one is doing this. And it's, it's 7.20. Class is supposed to start at 7.30. And among Hasidim, there's an expression, at 7.30 is the Rebbe's train. That's, that's, that's when the, the train leaves the station. That's when the, you know, that's when he's supposed to be there. That's, it, the Rebbe, not just the Rebbe, but the previous Rebbe, the Rebbe Hashab, highlighted how important it is to keep an order and to be there exactly on time 
So if you come at 7.31, the train's left the station. You may learn learned an hour and a half, but the train's left the station. It's about, it's about, yeah, yeah. so this boy, he's there at 7.20, and he's waiting, he's waiting, uh, what should I stay, what should I even do? And he sees another guy come in, and it's, it's like 7.25, the other boy walks in, who is it, Rabbi Pepsner? He looks at the clock and says, oh! Baruch Hashem, thank God, I made it. You know, like, yeah. like, like he doesn't even notice anyone else is around. But like, you're like, you just think, I did, I did what Hashem wants me to do, you know? And this, this uh, guy wrote the article, I read the article yesterday about him, he's describing this, his, 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 my, my friend, he said he, he, he stayed with him, stayed with him, this, 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 this picture, he always shares it with his students, and, and it's, it's unbelievable. I mean, if you know what this guy is, he just, he just wants to, that's the way he lived his life, he really lived his life, it was just, just like, what Hashem want? And that was his greatest joy. Ah! I'm doing what Hashem wants. And for him, it was much harder because he couldn't walk normally. He had other physical challenges. And he had, he, and at the end of the day, he was in a wheelchair later on. And um, just, but, but his joy, oh, I, I did this. I did this. Anyway, so that's the, the idea of the pouring of the water. The greatest joy of the Jew is, is, is the will of God. Why? Because our essence is God. Joy has to do, what is joy about? Joy is about an expression of your inside, your inner feelings, right? When you're happy, it's an expression of your insides. So you could have a joy that expresses your understanding, your appreciation, your, your feelings. That's a limited joy because it's not your real, it's not your deepest self. The real joy is when you're, when you do something just externally, just to get it over with, there's no joy there, right? Just do, there's, no, there's no inside there. What, what, joy means you're doing something because you like it, you enjoy it, you, you're happy about it. So if you're just happy about it because your mind says so, and your heart says so, that's limited. But if you're enjoying it because your soul says so, that's infinite. That's beyond everything. That's why the Talmud says that this is the greatest joy. That's why this joy tells us a lot about who a Jew is. It says in the Talmud that there were other Jews in the time of the Temple who disagreed with this whole practice of pouring the water. The reason they disagree with the practice of pouring the water is because, as I said, it's a tradition that we got from Moses and Mount Sinai. They only believed in the written Torah. They said, all this tradition stuff, we don't believe it. So the Talmud says that whenever someone would pour the water on the altar, the custom was they would tell the guy, lift your hand up. Why did the Talmud lift his hand up? Because, because one time there was a guy of the Tzedukim, of this group, who didn't believe in the oral Torah, didn't believe in the tradition, and he wanted to... Uh, apparently wanted to brazenly violate this tradition. And he took the water and he poured the water on his feet. So Talmud says, everybody beamed their esrogam at him. He poured the water on his feet, everyone threw their esrogam at him. So this story is, is very, is a story of Torah, and it has a deep message for us. There's, a, there's some deep insight in the story about what a Jew is and what a Jew isn't, and two paths of understanding what a Jew is. Who are these, this, this group of people, the Tzedukim, they felt that Torah is a logical thing. We don't have to go by any tradition. We don't have to do what the rabbis say. We'll just follow what our mind says. We'll look at the Torah ourselves. We'll figure it out. We don't have to have rabbis telling us what they heard from their parents and they heard from their parents. We're, everyone can figure this out. One second. Isn't there a need for obedience? If you would ask a tzaduki, if you ask one of those guys, is there a need for obedience? Is there a need for just, just having faith and following? They would say, yeah, that's for simple people. For the, for the masses. The masses have to, have to follow instructions from, from the, in, the, the intellectual elite. The intellectual elite, they have to follow their minds. They shouldn't just have this blind obedience. So the Torah actually says, when the Jewish, as I mentioned, when the Jewish people got the Torah, they said, we will do, and then we'll understand. 
And what that means is, is that that deep devotion to God actually opens up your mind to understand the Torah. We find a phenomenon in history that it was our greatest scholars were the ones who were the most devout. The ones who were the most devoted to God, the ones who were the greatest tzaddikim, they're the ones who are greatest scholars. You'd think that if, if, if Torah scholarship has to do with the intellect, then you could have a scholar who's, who's uh, not so devoted, as long as he has a great, great mind. And yet we find that no, the, who were the ones who understood the Torah, specifically the tzaddikim, specifically the ones who were most devoted to God, those are the ones who understood the Torah. So that's why it says in the Talmud that the guy poured the water on his feet. He was emphasizing that yeah, this is a tradition for the feety people. People who, are, who don't have, aren't blessed with intellect like, like, like me, they're the ones who have to follow the traditions. But me, I don't need to, I don't need to worry about what the rabbis say, what, what Moses says, and what the tradition says. So what, what was the response of everybody? They pelted him with their srogan. What's an esrog? Talmud says that there are four species we take on the Talmud. Lulav, an esrog, Hanas, and Arava. And these four species represent four kinds of character. There are those who have fragrance and taste, like an esrog. There are those who are like a willow, have no fragrance or taste. And there are those who have just fragrance, like a myrtle, and those who have, um, um, and those who only have taste, like a date, date palm. So, so the Torah says that we bring them together to show they're all one, we have one Father in Heaven. But the tzaduki, he said a Jew is an intellectual. That was his understanding what a Jew is. And therefore he said, you don't, you don't need to have these, this, this blind faith following traditions. What was the response of the people? They threw their sreigim at it. They were saying, even the esrog, the esrog represents a loftier, a higher, deeper parts of yourself. Esrog is a part of yourself that has fragrance, that has taste. The esrog represents the, uh, your, your deeper and higher self. So they said to the, the tzaduki by throwing their sreigim at him, they were saying to him, not only are you missing the water, you're missing the intellect and feelings as well. Not only do you not have this devotion to God beyond logic and reason, but the thing that you are priding yourself in, you tzaduki, you're saying that the most important thing is the intellect, the thing that you are priding yourself in, you don't have either. Why? Because in order for, for, for a person to understand the Torah, you have to first, you have, to first have this sense of devotion to God. You, you, in order to understand Torah, that's to first be Nasa the Nishma. Only if you say we will do Torah before understanding it, then can you possibly understand the Torah. With the Nasa before the Nishma, then, then you could um, understand the Torah. So they pelt him with the Sarekim saying, you don't have Esrog either. You, you, you're saying your thing is the Esrog. You're saying your thing is the intellect, the feelings. You, you, you are a, the intellectual lead of the Jewish people. You're missing something. In order to begin opening your mind and heart to Torah, the first thing you have to have is the water. The deal of water is, again, this tasteless, you don't know why you're doing it, you don't know what you're doing, you know, God said to do it, ah, geschmack, this is great. Today, he actually reminds me, you must remember now, the memory, I was sent by the Rebbe to uh, New Haven, Connecticut, and uh, we put up a, uh, a sukkah in this complex where a lot of Russian Jews lived. And we, got, we made an agreement with the uh, guy who ran the prior property, the manager, that the day after sukkah, told the day the sukkah would, would go away, right? So we put up the sukkah. We're very happy with this mitzvah. Seven days. Well, he, he was okay with it. It happened every year before us. Every year, the, the other it was, a, it was a rotating group of guys that went to Haven for a year. Another uh, group put it up the year before. No problem. Every year he knows the drill. Problem was, we put it up the day before sukkah. Fantastic. Problem was, the day after sukkah, it rained. It rained. And uh, I'll never forget the. Uh, number of the payphone 
Alayim Mashalom, which we pay for in the, in the, in the yeshiva, 203-789-9879, is ringing the day after Simchas Torah at 10 o'clock in the morning. And, uh, you know, it's after Simchas Torah, you probably know, it's, it's, it's a big day. You're knocked out, you're tired. I pick up the phone. What's going on? Why is this thing still up? I'm thinking, well, it's like it's raining. Can we do this tomorrow? No, we had an agreement. You want to do this next year? You have to take this down now. <laughs> so, so we all went together, and um, and we put it, we put it, took it down, fine, and we put it into the dumpster. But the problem was, we came back to yeshiva. The guys, the dumpster's not closing. <laughs> okay, we did this ourselves. We went back there, we all stood in the dumpster, <laughs> pushing the eggshells and the garbage and around it until you got the sukkah to fit into the dumpster. And I remember that being the most, one of the most joyous times in my life. What a, what a great, happy time. We were doing... Soaking wet. We, we're soaking wet, we're seeing the, the rain. rain. But what was the joy? We're doing, this is what a God wants us to do. It's the most happiest time. Ah, God wants us, we're sent on a mission to this yeshiva, this is our job. Singing in the rain, this is what Hashem wants us to do. So this is why... It says in the Talmud, someone who's not seen the simcha, the drawing the water, never saw joy in his life. Again, joy means you're not just doing something, but your insight is into it. You like what you're doing. So if you only like it because your mind says so, your heart says so, it's, it's not real joy. Because I'll tell you what joy does. It says in the Torah, joy breaks boundaries. Joy breaks boundaries. One of the characteristics of joy is, the consequences of joy is, you go beyond your limits. Like the Talmud, in Hasidus it talks about a man who makes a wedding for his only son, or his only daughter. And how even this man might be a miserly person, he might be a, he might be very stingy. The day of his daughter's wedding, his essence of his soul is revealed, and therefore he goes all out, all out in limitation, and is giving and giving, and, and and he's excited to give and to do. Why? Because because of this incredible joy. So we all have our limitations. We all have our nature. Some people have the, the nature of being kind, and the nature of being judgmental. But we have the nature of being very broad and very uh, courageous. Everyone has their nature, but everyone has their limits. Everyone has their limits of who, who they are and what they, what they do. When you have joy, joy breaks your boundaries. So if your joy is because of wine, which spiritually means if your joy is because of understanding and appreciation of what you're doing, so then how far beyond your limits are you going to go? You can't go. You, your intellect itself is limited. The reason for your joy is limited. If it's because it makes sense, then how far are you going to go as, as, as far as it makes sense? But if your joy is because of the joy of your soul, because you are a part of God, and this is the will of God, and there's an infinite joy. There's no limit to your joy. And that's why Talmud says, just like the result of the joy is breaking boundaries, so to the cause of the joy, it has to be something which has no limit. Therefore, what's the cause of the joy? The simple space of She'eva, the cause of the joy is the water. It's not because it makes sense. Ushapta Mayim the Sasantor said, you'll draw water with joy. What are you happy about? You're, draw, you're happy about this is the will of Hashem. Not because it has a taste, not because it tastes good, not because it feels good. Because just because it's the will of God, and yet that's the greatest joy, because it's coming from the essence of your soul. And therefore, it breaks all boundaries of your character, of your nature, of your limitations, because it comes from the essence of who you are. If it's wine, makes sense, there's a feeling, you go a certain way, you go beyond yourself to a limit because it the source is the, the understanding, the source is the feeling. So, so since the source is limited, the, the result is limited. True joy, says the Talmud, is that it breaks boundaries. What really breaks boundaries is the essence of your soul. As long as it's not the essence of your soul, it's not breaking boundaries. 
But the result is it breaks boundaries, has to be the cause, has to be something which has no boundaries also, has to be the essence of the Nisham. Therefore the Talmud says that, what is a Jew? A Jew is, the essence of a Jew is godly. Since the essence of a Jew is godly, what's the joy of a Jew? What's the real joy of a Jew? Not things that make sense, not things that you appreciate with your mind and your heart. The real joy of the Jew is the will of God is the water. And therefore, the Talmud says, this joy is the joy that gives us joy in anything else in life. Any, any other mitzvah, anything else you're going to do, it's all a product of this joy of Kabbalah silk. Accepting the yoke of God, whatever, that, whatever God says to do, becomes your, your will. You're excited and happy to do whatever God says to do, just because it's His will, not because it makes sense. And uh, with this joy, we're able to break through our own boundaries and limitations, and to break the limitations of the exile, bring the Gula. Chaim, Chaim, Any questions? Yes. Yes. Do we have any understanding of what the actual ceremony was? I mean, where did they take the one from? How was it brought up? Text me. I'll send you from the Ramam. I hope the Ramam describes in detail the entire ceremony. How it works. Really good. Okay. All right. Okay. Please tell me that's an essay. Yeah, I was going to say, this is the best.